This is Cinema Degeneration. I am the devil, and I am here to do the devil's work. I, I just can't take no pleasure in killing that. Just some things you gotta do. We all go a little mad sometimes. You wanna know what happens to an eyeball when it gets punctured? You just can't let them go? Go! Hi, I'm Chucky. Wanna play? <laughs> Please, God. This is God. The dead will walk here. I'm just gonna bash your brains. And your suffering will be legendary even in hell. <laughs> it's alive, it's alive, it's alive. They all flow down here. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Boy, you're doomed. You're doomed. Hey, fiends. Hellcat here. On our show tonight, we offer up our takeout series where we will explore the realms of foreign horror cinema. Our hosts will take you along their travels all over the globe, while diving into some of the most lucid storytelling, savage cannibals, vengeful spirits, sadistic killers, and the post-apocalyptic zombie-plagued landscapes. Join us as we dissect the classics that prove sometimes fear comes with subtitles. Every 10 or 15 years, a film is produced that is so overwhelming, so forceful in its impact, that it becomes deeply embedded in the mind and changes for all time those who see it. We think the psychic is such a film. Its intensity may be more than some wish to be exposed to, and those people should be forewarned. Just imagine how frightening it is to suddenly find that you can see into the future, and how much more terrifying it is to see in that future your own murder. And then, worst of all, no one will believe you. Jennifer O'Neill is the psychic. Alrighty, folks and fellow cinema degeneration degenerates, welcome to Takeout Edition. This is a show that we do d- dedicated to all things foreign films, not just horror, but today we do got a good little horror thriller for you. We are covering our first Lucio Fulci flick, The Psychic, also known as Murder to the Tune of Seven Black Notes from 1977. And appropriately, my fellow Italian horror-loving friend, Thomas Berdinsky, is with us as a co-host tonight. How are we doing today? Or as I should say today, not tonight. It's like 9 a.m. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's, nice, it's a nice crisp fall morning over here, that's for sure. Good, good, time, to, good time to talk about uh, Lucio and, and some, uh, some Italian thrillers. Now, you had seen this one before, correct? Before we did our show. I actually bought this movie from Blockbuster Video. <laughs> if you can believe that. Blockbuster I can't believe Carey Blockbuster Fest. had it. I, I know. I can't believe that. 
Exactly. And I, I don't remember when Blockbuster, you know, came into being, but we got one of the earlier ones, I remember. And, and of course, this movie was from like 77. And I remember going in and I think it had to be after Zombie because I at least knew who Lucio Fulci was. And uh, I saw this movie and it was in there, you know, for sale rack or whatever. And I actually picked it up. It was probably 20 bucks or something on VHS. So I, I've had it for a very, very long time. And I, of course, watched it probably sometime whenever that was, <laughs> late, late 80s or something. I don't know when I first watched it, but I certainly remember it. And uh, when you were talking about, hey, let's let's pick something from the, the, the Fulci archives here. And I'm like, but I don't want to do one that everybody's done. Let's let's do one that maybe they, uh, you know, as is my way. Let's do one that maybe everybody hasn't heard of before. <laughs> what, <laughs> so, you picking the you picking the obscure ones? No. <laughs> well, I was glad you picked this one because I, I'm, I'm almost ashamed to admit it. I had never seen it before. It's just one that it always you know, kind of slipped under the radar and I never managed to get a copy of it. So when you suggested it, I was like, I'm not going to just stream it anywhere. I'm not going to rent it. I'm going to buy it. So I found a Blu-ray and had some nice, uh, you know, special features on it, some nice trailers, a little audio interview with uh, Fulci, which was really wow. nice. Yeah, and that, some interviews awesome. with uh, Jennifer O'Neill and uh, a couple of nice audio commentary tracks. So it had all the bells and whistles. I didn't get a chance to peruse all of them yet. But I will. Uh, let's go ahead and get into the the quick IMD, IMDb synopsis and start tearing into this one. All right. All right. The Psychic, 1977. A clairvoyant woman discovers a skeleton in a wall in her husband's house and seeks to find the truth about what happened to the victim. And I feel like that's really overly simplifying things because this it's about a whole lot more than that. This movie yeah. is, a, is a whole lot... Uh, I guess, the, for lack of a better term, convoluted. Yeah, I mean, it is. I'm glad that the uh, synopsis didn't give away kind of the big twist in it all, which which I thought was was quite well. You know, this is this is the the title the, the title itself, the psychic. Like you said, doesn't give you much. The murder yeah. to the tune of seven black notes that would lump this movie in with the whole Jilo genre, which is where I think this movie belongs because it's yeah, I do too. And because it's Lucio, they want to lump it in with the gore and the zombies and the supernatural, but that's not what this is. This is a this is a a mystery, a gyro, a thriller, but it still has a lot. There's of a killer. History. There's a killer with with black gloves at one point. Yeah, exactly. You know I mean? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it really has those elements. And if you saw the title "Murder to the Tune of Seven Black Notes," along with all of Argento's, you know, interesting titles along those lines, you know, or these really lengthy mysterious titles you know that this would fit right in with those but I, I think in the marketing of it at least you know in the marketing in this country when they you know called it the psychic i i just don't think they really knew what to do with it now of course psychic phenomena is a big part of this but uh it's it's really more a gyro than anything else and i think that's kind of I sad it's why it got lost i think that's probably why you'd never heard of it why i stumbled across it whatever that was it had to be sometime in the 80s um, you know, and I just stumbled across it because I knew who Fulci was. And, oh, another Fulci movie, and you know, little little different. But that was kind of how I discovered uh, Contraband. You know, a totally different kind yeah. of flick. But that's how I discovered Contraband. Is like after watching The Beyond and Zombie, I was just like, I got to seek out some of his other movies. And thankfully, I was able to find that one on VHS. But like this yeah. one, completely, just like I said, flew under the radar. And a title like The Psychic is just very lackluster. 
I mean, yep. Murder to the Tune of Seven Black Notes would just would if that would have been the title on the American release, I probably would have seen this a good twenty years sooner. Yeah, and I'm, I'm kind of surprised even maybe that the, the Blu-ray didn't try to, you know, I, I'd love to see the credits for Murder to the Tune of Seven Black Notes. I'm, they're probably all in Italian, so I couldn't read them, but I would just wonder, <laughs> you know, what what it would be like. But this was more this, you know, this is more torture a duckling, you know, type of film versus you know some of his his peak efforts in terms of you know when he was perceived to be peaking with zombie and you know city of the walking dead and gates of hell or uh, um, you know house by the cemetery all those ones so this was this was a little bit ahead of that but it was a lot of the same people involved in terms of his crew and his writers and his, you know music and everything so this was a this was really close to when he was you know completely hitting his stride and i think it really shows well, it, it was what two years before Zombie. It was in between, um, you know, Don't Torture a Duckling, and of course, you know, the Four of the Apocalypse. But I know Zombie came out right afterwards, and then Contraband and City of the Living Dead or Gates of Hell. I mean, he was totally in his stride and was hitting every mark. And the opening, that yeah, kind of yeah. like that cold opening where it's just the car in the city. The lady drives out to the. Uh, the cliff, you know, overlooking the nice scenic view and just jumps to her death. And it it gives you the promise that you're going to see another Fulci gore fest. And which, it, this does have some good gore in it when it's there. But yeah. it's very sparse, like when uh, Virginia's mother is, you know, commits suicide and she jumps and, and, her, and she's hitting every rock on the way down this cliff with her face. Yeah, which, <laughs> is, which is right out of Don't Torture a Duckling. You know, right. It's, the scene he's used before, and, and actually, I think he did it better in Don't Torture a Duckling. But in any event, yeah, I mean, they they set you up for, you know, there's going to be hyper-stylized violence in this one, which, again, would be more of a Gilo trait. Um, but they really didn't go that way, and they didn't need to. You know, no. they, they didn't need that. Now, we'll, we'll get more into that later, but uh, yeah, but it, it does, you know, starts out like, oh, okay, this is this is the black cat. This is this is typical Fulci. We're going to have some hyper violence and gore. It may yeah, be some out. New York Ripper type style of, of, of shit, you know, but it, 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 it does go there when it does. It sounds redundant. It goes there when it goes there and it goes there very briefly. It's just this movie builds on mood and style alone. It's more yeah. of a stylistic i mean it's everything that you want in fulci it's got those beautiful panning shots those the zoom shots that he would just become synonymous with is is very beautifully shot yeah well his his uh you know his cinematographer in this one sergio selvati or selvati however you say his last name um obviously he was with with lucio you know during his, this peak period too you know he was his dp for zombie and for the beyond and all all those great ones and i mean he even was a part of if i remember right at least i think he was assistant cameraman on the good the bad and the ugly I mean, this guy's been around and he he can compose and, and put together a great shot and yeah this one this one was was full of his his trademark, you know, just beautiful looking shots and, and like you said, nice, just very full pans, very well composed, you know. And this is again a trademark of of Fulci's best films, which when he wasn't working with Sergio towards the end of his career, it, it really showed. You know, this guy really added a lot to the team. Yeah, and it, you know, it's, it's just like being in a band. I would imagine, you know, if one person is out of sync or not there, then it, the the movie just suffers. 
you know, yeah. just like the music would suffer. But yeah, the the music is great. It's got some Fabio Fritzi's work in there. Oh yeah, and it's very evident. You you even hear some notes that he used later in City of the Walking Dead, and I will say the <laughs> yeah. the, uh, the the music they they do their best Goblin impersonation during it. Yeah, you know, they definitely yes, give they it do. a giant little Goblin feel, and they do a pretty good job. I mean, the music is solid throughout. Uh, but again, that's just another, to me, another clue that they were really trying to make a gylo and they, they, they should have marketed it more as such. But I think by the time this was getting out there, you know, Lucio had probably made Zombie. So he was, you know, becoming this gore master and they figured, oh, we got to we got to market this differently. And, and I don't know how gylos were doing in the late 70s. Maybe it, it, the fad had mostly passed. And it just wasn't. It, it was profitable. probably dying out. I, I imagine it hadn't died completely, but it it was on its way out. It's just kind of like uh, the zombie genre has been dying mm-hmm. for years. It's not exactly dead yet, but it, it's getting there. Yeah, I think so. I I think that factored into it. But he he certainly had his A team together for this one, and he had these guys together for probably the next you know more or less the next ten years of his movies. Yeah, you know, he was working with these folks, and they they were a really solid team. Uh, this one was a little different too, in, in in that at least from what I could tell, you know, of course they they shot it in English, which they shot a lot of his films in English, but a lot of times, you know, they didn't record the sound at the same time. But this one did not appear to be dubbed very often, so I I, I think they actually did a pretty good job, at least not with Jennifer O'Neill and, and some of the other characters. I don't if they dubbed it, wow, <laughs> some fantastic dubbing. Well, but, uh, I did read uh, on the IMDb trivia that it was unusual for the time that all the actors actually spoke in English, regardless uh, of their nationality. The the Italian actors uh, all all spoke in English at the time. Okay, so that, that makes sense because that that's something I noticed. You know, compared to some of his later films and, and other films too, uh, you know, from Italy in this era, that generally, you know, they they spoke in English, but then they were later dubbed by English speaking actors, not you know, not their own voices. Uh, but in this movie, yeah, I was pretty sure, yeah, that's Jennifer O'Neill talking and, and the other guys, yeah, the English was broken enough that it's like, well, if that's a guy dubbing it, pretending to have an Italian accent, he's doing a heck of a job. <laughs> yeah, he's doing so, a good job, isn't he? It was a little hard to understand at times, but I, I am jealous that you had the Blu-ray because I, I, you know, I'm watching the old VHS, which is quite faded. But in my, you know, in my imagination, I can just imagine how beautiful some of these shots really looked, you know, seeing well, on the blue, it's just really it is really beautiful. It looks really good, and I highly recommend it if you can pick it up. I picked it up on eBay for like fourteen dollars, yeah. and yeah. it's definitely worth it. It's got a nice reversible sleeve on it. That if you reverse it and don't get that skull, the woman laying in the skull uh, cover that's usually on the psychic. It's yeah. got if you get the flip cover, it gives a lot away. So oh, uh, as much okay. as I like, uh, I like the 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 re- reversible sleeve. <laughs> it it does yep. give a bit away. It was just like, oh wow, well, if I've seen this first, I would have guessed what was going on right off at the beginning. Yeah, but, yeah and, but, and that would be hard to do with this movie because the story is quite complicated. But it's it's uh, but it's clever. You know, it has some some twists. I thought that actually worked. And uh, it's not always the case with these, you know, especially the later years, you know, with Fulci, when he went for the more dreamlike, let's not worry about logic, this is all a dream, a nightmare, that type of thing. This one stayed pretty logical throughout, um, you know, in terms of the, the twists. Uh, not not always, but, uh, you know, just uh, well, more, more more gylo, again, more, more you know, police procedural sort of, not so much as uh, that uh, when we did Sleepless, but... Uh, 
you know, but still has, a, right. you know, has it's, it's rooted down to earth, you know, it's not rooted in, you know, a gate of hell opening fantasy type of a scenario here. This is, this is much more down to earth. Yeah, I mean, the most uh, kind of supernatural kind of edge that it has to it is the clairvoyancy of Virginia's yep. character. And, you know, what whether or not her visions are, you know, we'll get into it, you know, when we get to it. But her visions are of the past at some point, and some of them are uh, maybe not, you know, without getting anything yeah. away. But, like, her, the visions that she has are even more linear and more... I guess you could say coherent than a lot of like, you know, Fulci's later work that would come in the, you know, some of the later years, you know, with the really kind of lucid storytelling that he would have. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. This was, this was a, I think I would probably have to credit And I know that he is, he's, he's credited with both story and screenplay. And so is uh, Dardano Sacchetti and uh, Roberto Giovitti, Giovitti. Um, and I and I know that they've worked together before. At least I know Lucio and Dardano have. And I just sometimes I wonder how much of it's Lucio and how much of it's Dardano. I think this one was probably more Dardano because this is this is a really complex, you know, written sort of story. It relies less on you know the filmmaking and the, the dreamlike and the you know the, the unusual you know qualities that a, that a director might might add to the storytelling. This is more, you know, this has been a great book. You know, as I'm as I'm watching it, thinking, boy, this you know, this would have been something that Stephen King would write. You know, it, it just is really, really solidly written. You know, in terms of you know what the characters are going through and how they're evolving and, and what they're learning, and this it's a constant mystery. I mean, you never know until the very end. Yes, yeah. I mean, on. I sus- I would have to say I suspected, but I never thought like, no, this is where it's it's going there. You know, I never thought it was that that's where it was going to go. Uh, but you know, I, I did suspect, but I suspected. There's many times in my notes where I put like, you know, so and so don't trust him. This lady don't trust her. <laughs> this person don't trust this person. You know, because let's face it, in a lot of these movies and a lot of giallos, you really don't want to trust anybody because anybody can be the murderer. So I guess I'm kind of like jaded that way. You know, I'm I'm go into it thinking to myself, you know, ah, oh, it's one of the, those films. I'm not going to trust right. anybody. Yeah, and there were a lot of a lot of red herrings, obviously, and that that's you know constant with this this uh, consistent with this uh, genre too. But I thought they did a good job because yeah, me too. I thought at the beginning, okay, I know how this is going, I know where this is going to be figured out, and then about halfway through, they convinced me, no, this isn't where this is going. And right. you know, then it went even a third direction after that, and for the most part, you know, those the the little segues they took. You know, didn't didn't leave me confused. They left me interested, and exactly. that, that I think is the mark of good writing. I didn't. I wasn't like, okay, this is just too much now. I know it's this guy, and I don't care anymore. Which kind of happened, you know, with with that. You know, some like you no, know, we did sleepless a while ago, but you know, sleepless got so nonsensical toward the end, where it, this one it fell stayed. apart towards the end, where this one came together nicely. I thought. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I agree. I agree. And. You know, this is like at the beginning, uh, Dr. Fattori, I, he was the first person in my notes, like about 10 lines down. I'm like, don't trust this motherfucker. Don't trust him at all. He, he's guilty of something. Nope, he's not. He's actually, you know, just there to help. And he's a bit, of, you know, of, of an asshole, but, you know, he's there to help. But, uh, you know, the, the the next vision that I have, well, you know, because the, the the visions that she has, I almost said the visions that I had, but I didn't have a vision. <laughs> But the visions that uh, Virginia have has are all beautifully shot. 
You know, oh, they yeah. give you just little tastes of what's, to, you know what I mean, what, what, what what's to come is not, you know, it's never ever giving you the full picture, although it, it's like, you know, it's telling you everything but not showing you everything, if that makes sense. Right, which which I think is a result of, again, you know, and the, the experience. I, yeah, I mean, you know, Fulci working with that, with his DP, with Sergio for, for so many years, I think that's that's how that kind of, you know, played out, in, you know, so beautifully. And and even, you know, when she was having that first vision, when, when she's driving through those tunnels, I mean, what? Yeah, after what? she sees um, uh, Frederick. Uh, Francesco, sorry, not Frederick. When she sees him off in the plane, I thought for sure these visions are like, okay, now, now Francesco is going to die in the plane crash. Yeah. She's going to have another vision. And it, yeah, it, it, it leads you into a false sense of security each time she has a vision thinking where it's going to go and it just takes a left turn yeah yeah and and i love that shot going into the tunnels where you know you're pulling into the tunnel and you can see the light at the end of the tunnel the first time through and then the second time through you can see the light at the end of the tunnel and then in the third tunnel there's no light at the end no that totally dark really creepy shot and i just thought you know you're pulling into a tunnel like that you can't see the light at the end. Well, this tunnel is blocked off. You're going to run into a wall here. I mean, it was just, a, <laughs> you know, it was really kind of shocking right off the bat. And of course, that's what led her into her, you know, her her sustained vision or her, her clairvoyant, you know, um, episode there. But it was, uh, it was just really that, that to me, you know, probably wasn't the writer. That was probably the director and the DP came up with that, just that beautiful sequence there. Yeah, everything in this movie is beautiful. I mean, the countryside, the the the, the villas that they show, everything is just oozes style. Yeah, Jennifer <laughs> O'Neill, she's a, a, a marvel to watch as Virginia. She's great. Uh, probably most memorable role that in Scanners, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, but she's she's beautiful and such a great actor. She brings such a presence to what she does. Uh, underrated, highly underrated. Oh. For sure, she 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 had the misfortune of not picking maybe some great movies to be in, but she's been she's had a very long career in films and modeling. I mean, she was a cover right. model for thirty years. You know, I mean that's just phenomenal. How and her her life story is really fascinating. I I do think somebody should make a make a movie about that. She she's, her life was just filled with tragedies and all kinds wow. of stuff. And and she, I think she's had like eight or nine husbands. Quite. <laughs> <laughs> Quite amazing, but she was a pretty big at this point in her career. You know, her she she had some star power behind her when she was doing this, um, and she just I think Scanners was after this, but she did uh, Peter Proud yeah, and years. You know, she did some other movies where she was. You know, everybody was like she was up and coming. This this was she was going to be a big star. And well, one of her first movies was Rio Lobo with John yeah. Wayne for crying out loud. You know, yeah. she had some range. She did. She and she she was, you know, again, obviously very, very nice to look at. I think that, you know, she was photographed well. She knew how to, uh, you know, how to express herself for the camera very well. I just think she just, you know, didn't didn't always pick the best ones to be. And she could have probably been a bigger star. But to get her in this film, you know, uh, you know, made it shot over in Italy and all this other stuff. Um, you know, the Italian cinema was 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 still 
you know, it was kind of at this time, I think, you know, Italian cinema wasn't, you know, kind of laughed at like it became later in the 80s and 90s when we were getting all these dubbed horror flicks and, you know, these Italian horror films were, were kind of mocked, which is too bad. This, this, I think there was still a lot of respect for the Italian film industry in the 70s. So this was a great opportunity, probably, in her thinking to go over there and, and make this film with, you know, with this crew, you know, all these guys who'd made all these other, you know, films and associated with all these other big productions. Um, I, I think she thought this was probably going to be a really, you know, really good thing for her career. And, uh, you know, it's, it's still, it's a, it's a really good film, but I think she just, a lot of times just didn't maybe pick the, the right movie to, to launch her to the next level. Maybe she never wanted to go to the next level. Who knows? Yeah. Or maybe, you know, it was just, like I said, it was all in the choices. Sometimes you think a movie's yeah. going to be a big hit and it just turns out to just not find its audience until, yeah. you know, sometimes until years later, or unfortunately, sometimes not at all. Yeah. Yeah. But she did. Which she's. Is- Nice TV career. I mean, she certainly was was a very capable and, and a good actress. And, I, you know, she's done stuff for a very long time. She's still appearing in movies once in a while. So, good, yeah, good I mean, I her. think uh, her, her last film was in 2016. So, she, you know, she kept up a pretty long career, you know, just despite some questionable choices and some uh, the films that she ended up doing. Yeah, you kind of wonder if, if she had more fun on this one, would would she have been the next, you know, would she have been Catriona McCall, you know, would she have kept working with, with Fulci, you know, I, he is, the you know, the, the reports are he treated his actresses pretty poorly, you know, this script was not, you know, as misogynistic as his later scripts got, um, so this one, you know, I think again, I credit the writer on that, but I think this was, you know, this was a pretty good, pretty good story all the way around. And uh, you just, you just wonder, you know, two years later, you know, he's doing Zombie, and then he's, then he's doing, you know, City of the Walking Dead and all these other ones. I could see Jennifer O'Neill in the role, that, you know, Catcher on a McCall had certainly. Yeah, I mean, the, again, I mean, two years later he was doing Zombie, and two years later she was doing A Force of One with Chuck Norris. So just. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> two different di- directions two totally different yep. directions but, still, sure. but this is a movie that i think begs you to watch it more than once if you've never seen it before you should definitely watch it twice i mean maybe not necessarily back to back watch it once absorb it as it is and then watch it again and then be able to really appreciate all the twists in turns because when she arrives at the villa i mean it's pretty much the setup the whole beginning of the movie from the the prologue taking place in 1959 to you know her seeing uh her husband off you know in in the airplane and whatnot her taking over the the villa and, and fixing it up it's you know uh, it's all set up to get her to this point because once she has the visions of the village you know she gets there and she realizes oh these this is the place that i've been having visions of she doesn't know it and she just knows that something or someone is plastered in that wall and the the fact that me of course the police police are never going to believe her never no no policeman is ever going to believe her like oh i had a vision that somebody was buried in the plastered in this wall in this exact spot that i had never been at in my entire life it's because i had a vision so i took a pickaxe to it till i found the skeleton i mean it's it's it plays off a lot less ridiculous on film than it sounds but when you say it out loud it's like what policeman in his right mind with a logical mind would ever believe that story right yeah i know that they set that scene up well you know with with her 
you know, again, with, with just the vision and, and the way she was, you know, approached that room and, and the flashbacks, you know, to the vision and all that stuff. I, I thought it was handled very well. It was it was paced well. It could have been very over the top, but they didn't approach it that way. You know, they, they really had kind of a lengthy build up to her finally just making the decision that she's going to put a hole in that wall and she's going to find whatever's behind there. And uh, I love the shot of the pickaxe going into the wall. Whereas the pickaxe hits the wall, the camera zooms in. As it pulls out, the camera zooms out. It was a really, a really a, a neat, effective, I thought, uh, shot that they did there. Again, you know, one, one of many in this film. But uh, yep, no, it was a good, good scene, good sequence. And yep, now you you basically set up, you know, the whole story here. Now, at what point during the movie, like, we won't get to the the final reveal. Till we get to the final reveal. At what point in the movie did you did you have it pegged, or did you have it pegged at, at all? Did you have it? You know, did you guess right at all, at all when you, the first time you watched this? Did you did yeah, you know what the big reveal was going to be? Yeah, it's hard for me to remember the first time I watched it because that was probably twenty years ago. But even watching it this time through, even though I can't, because I did remember, you know, some things from it. Uh, there was still you know, that plot twist still, you know, took me a little bit by surprise and I was still confused toward the end, you know, as to as to what exactly was going on. So I I can't say that even the second time through, granted there'd been 20 years in between, you know, I that I was absolutely sure, oh yeah, it's this, you know, it's this guy. Because they, you know, they they take you through the the whole investigation here of, of all these possible you know, people involved in this thing and, and all the mysteries and so on. So even the second time through again, I don't remember the first time through how I felt, but the second time through, even though I kind of knew where it was going, it still, I thought, did a good job, you know, leading me in the other directions. Yeah, I, I had the overall twist of what she was seeing pegged about halfway in. I, I had a question in my mind, is she seeing this and not really seeing, you know, a, a, a past murder? You know, which sure. I'm almost giving it away right now, but you know, we're we're, we're spoiling it, you know, eventually to, uh, today, folks. <laughs> we're going to be spoiling everything, but I'm trying to spoil it in uh, in order. But I, you know, when they started revealing, like when uh, the the character Emilio comes into play as a suspect, I was just like, okay, it's Emilio. It's straight up like Emilio. I suspected the doctor. I suspected the commissioner even at one point. I were commissioner, don't trust him. Yeah. Uh, uh francesco's sister that that was my number one suspect up until emilio and then i'm just like okay those two characters are you know in on it because as soon as i saw glory with those yellow cigarettes that that was part of virginia's vision i'm like oh she's in on it she's definitely in on it but you know it does play such a good job at you know revealing every little thing like you know the the girl that was buried in the wall that was in the magazine you know revealing it bit by bit you know going to the cab drivers going to the 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 guy at the ranch you know that had the horses that knew the, the magazine layout emilio as the the art critic guy and i every time something was revealed i it just it, it's like i'm watching a phantasm film poses a whole lot of questions and didn't give us a whole lot of answers you know yeah yeah there's there's definitely a, a feel of a conspiracy um, yes. you know, especially in the beginning, that there's some conspiracy to either drive her crazy or to cover this up. 
Um, and I, and again, I think it's really very well done, you know, by by the writer and the director. And again, this unlike that, or unlike for example, Sleepless. This one, the acting was very subdued. It was not over the top. It was very low key. Very low key. Uh, very humorless, which is typical of Fulci. Um, the the Bruna character, uh, she added a little levity to it. I could I could see her uh, appearing in a sequel someday. She she just has a just a, a certain amount of just complete opposite energy of everybody else in in this whole film. She was just so 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 carefree and happy and and kind of you know seem seems sort of dumb, but she's not dumb. She's actually very intelligent. But we'll, we'll get to that. She, was, sure. just, she anyway. was just like very uh, for lack of better term, and I mean this as a term of endearment, but very nerdy. But very smart at the same time, yeah. using you know, like oh, I I know what I'm doing here. Let's give give me this stuff. A character we see a lot today, but you didn't see a lot in the '70s was the nerdy, you know, yet you know, attractive, smart character. And I thought they did a really good job, you know, crafting her character. But yeah, it has a lot of the the conspiracy, which again is is a gyro thing. Um, you know, everybody's guilty of something, and everybody's everybody's out to get you. You know, type of a thing. So I, again. Again, this this plays off better as a gyro. Also, the colors, you know, they they got into the color thing. Like you notice the the yellow cigarette, um, the the red light in the cab. That, that oh, or the red wallpaper in in the one yep, room. The you know that lampshade. Yep. Yeah, a lot of color things. Again, probably inspired by Argento and, and other gyros of the day. So they were they were you know hitting all the getting all the cliches or the tropes or whatever you want to say there. So they were definitely setting you up for something. And fortunately they, they didn't let you down in this one. No, they didn't. I mean, as they're revealing everything, as they're interviewing like uh, the cabbie, the man at the ranch, you know, everything's just fallen into place bit by bit. Now this is the part where I full on suspected Emilio Respini because one, he plays it very, like, he's very sweaty. He's changing his appearance, you know. Um, he's got yeah. the limp the, the limp of the man that she sees in her vision and whatnot. So, like, this is when I fall on. I'm like, okay, you know, there's going to be somebody helping him that we don't know about. But at this point, I'm just like, he's full on the killer. I'm like, they, they hit this one. This one's just straight on the nose. And, gosh, I got duped. I totally got <laughs> duped. But anyway, this this is the one point I wrote. This, this is the one bit of humor besides uh, Bruna's character. Is <laughs> I, I love this part when uh, Francesco's sister uh, Gloria is with uh, Virginia talking to the police officer. You know, and after they had taken uh, Francesco in for questioning and then promptly arrested him, and she's like, "Well, I've had fifty six lovers and I haven't killed right. a single one of them." <laughs> it, was, it was just the way she said it. it I, I can't replicate it at all. I, I would just massacre her, her delivery, but she does it in such a deadpan way. <laughs> it was just, yeah, and, and I and again, I, I think we we do find that funny. I'm not sure that was meant to be funny. I'm not really sure what the uh, you know the promiscuousness of, of Italy in that era you know was, but we do also learn a lot about the Italian uh, justice system in this movie. And uh, how different it is from our own, you know. It, it sounds to me like there's no bail over there in Italy, at least in the 70s. And as soon as you were suspected, you were hauled off to jail, and right. then they would do the investigation, which is quite different, you know, from this country where, yeah, you 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 can be picked up, but you know, you wouldn't be picked up for a 20 year old murder and then just locked up. And, you know, they're going to let you rot while they, you know, while they figure out if you're guilty or not, if they're even going to press charges. 
Um, you know, you'd Even be if they suspect you, you're at least going to be able to post bail. Yeah, you'd be a person of interest or something for a long time. But over in Italy, hey, he owned the house. He's guilty. We're going to throw him, you know, we're going to throw, uh, you know, Francesco right, in, right into jail, you know, just because this body was found in this old house of his that he hadn't even been to in, you know, years and years and years. So it was, uh, you know, it was just interesting, you know, how, how you know, it's a different sort the of justice, justice system or lack thereof played, plays mm-hmm. out. Yeah, yep, I found that really, really interesting. Um, and again, of course, they you know they shot this in English. They made this for the American audiences, and and maybe they were trying to make a bit of a political point here. You know, hey, in America, they don't do it this way. So let, let's really, let's really, you know, throw this guy in, and and you know, like he's never going to get out type of a thing. When we're really all we have is a body, and we don't even have a motive or anything else at this point. So it was, uh, it was interesting. You know, you mentioned sleepless, which we had done previously. You know, it's a little bit of a police procedural in in the the fact that they're even talking, at least in 77, you know, like, oh, we have all these new techniques with carbon dating. You know, we can tell exactly when she passed away. We know all these things, but they're still so behind the times in the the ways of, like, human rights and things like that. Like, they may have, like, a lot of these scientific things down, but the, 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 but abusing people's rights like that i guess was just part of the course in 77 in italy i guess yeah and maybe still today who knows you know i mean there's a lot of a lot of corruption in government not just in our country but in other countries too and Um, i mean you you look at yeah you know not not to bring up a real sore spot but you know you look at how how devastating covid was to that country you know how how it was for their government you know, they, they lost so many thousands of people. Now, granted, we've lost more now. They were a smaller country, though, and at the time, you know, it was just the percentage of people who are just getting wiped out by it, and their government was just it's completely ineffective. And, you know, that's probably was probably the case in the 70s, too. They were probably just very, very, you know, corrupt, ineffective, and the police were probably used to, uh, you know, jail a lot of political prisoners to who knows, you know, who knows in those days. I, I think was, most. Most governments are probably inept and ineffective and corrupt, you know, to be quite honest, and just in different Sad. ways. Yep. Yeah. Sad. Put people in positions of power, there's going to be corruption, you know, whether it's at the highest of levels to the lowest of levels, you know. Yeah, but, yeah, I think so. But that, but that is a nice aside, you know, when you when you're watching this, it's something you'll pick up on if you, you know, as you as you you should pick up on it, and you're familiar enough with our criminal justice system, just to see how little in another country. And this isn't a country that we consider an oppressive country. You know, this isn't like the you know Russia or something like that. This is you know this is Italy. You go visit Italy. You know, but but to think you could be arrested, you know, on on you know just the, the kind of charges this guy was arrested on, and not just arrested, but I mean basically locked up, and you know no no bail, nothing. Um, it was just, it was just sort of, sort of shocking, but you know, very interesting. Yeah, very, it's an interesting aspect of it, but it still plays well being, you know, 2021 versus 1977. It's, it's right. got a statement to say, and it, it, it it's, it's stamped right there for, for y'all yep. to see. That's why I say this movie, you know, once you watch it, take a break from it for a day or two and watch it again. I think you'll even have a better appreciation for it, folks. Uh, at least I know I sure did. But the, there's yeah, so many, yeah. there's so many little details. Uh, one I don't want to gloss over is uh, obviously we got to talk about when Gloria gives uh, Virginia that watch that plays that haunting little tune, yep. and 
you know, I think we'll just come out and say it. I mean, the original title for this was Murder to the Tune of Seven Black Notes. And the watch plays what? Seven notes. And so it, it's, it's soon, as soon as th- that happened, I was just like, oh, like, that's where I kind of started realizing, I guess we can kind of talk about it now because we're kind of at that midway point of the, you know, two thirds of the way through the movie and logistically. Uh, you know, she may not be, you know, seeing a murder that the murder that happened in the past, you know, the murder of the girl that was in the wall. She might be seeing a murder from the future. So it's more right. of a premonition than it is a past vision. Yeah. And yeah, and she gives her the watch. I was just like the first thing I, I wrote down in my notes. I'm like, oh, the gift of death. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, and it's a neat little tune, which I have to make a note of. Tarantino licensed and used that tune for Kill Bill. Oh. And, and it plays uh, during a couple of points uh, when. Um, uh, Uma Thurman's character, Patrice Ring, uh, you know, uh, Patrice, not Patrice Ring, but Patrice, <laughs> uh, you know, wakes up from her coma and whatnot. And, and he at one time, another interesting IMDb uh, trivia tidbit, h- had announced that he was going to be making a remake of this right after he did uh, Jackie Brown. Hmm. And that he was going to be doing a remake of this with uh, starring Bridget Fonda. Then as so many things happen for every, you know, four projects you hear announced, maybe one of them actually happened. It never came to be. So he is obviously a big fan of this film. And as any cinemaphile, you, you should, you you know, you, you should be a fan of this movie if you're a fan of yeah. movies in general. But, but uh, yeah. That's good to know. And yeah, I, I think the, um, I, I wasn't aware of any of that. I, and um, again, when I first saw this movie, I was not aware of the original title either. Um, so, you know, not knowing that Murder to the Tune of Seven Black Notes, you know, when I first saw this one, that little tune, I figured that was going to play into it because, you know, as soon as you hear it, it sort of becomes kind of some of the musical theme in the, in the overall, you know, story. And, and I, I credit the, uh, the guys who did the music for this one, uh, uh, Fabio Frizi and the, and the gang there, um, that, you know, that they, they were able to incorporate that or came up with that. I'm not sure how that all worked out. But, um, but yeah, that what what I thought was really really interesting, you know, now that we've gotten there with with her clairvoyance here, her psychic abilities, whatever these are, was you know the first time she has a psychic experience, it's exactly when her mother is committing suicide. Then the second time she has it, it's something that's occurred in the past, maybe, and then now it's being revealed that she's actually having premonitions. So. The, just the way the the writing and the, the story evolved, I just thought, you know, what a what a fascinating, you know, thought here that that this guy had. You know, we're not just going to do clairvoyance, we're not just going to do predictive, we're going to do now, then, and going forward. And uh, you know, from just from a writing standpoint, it's very Stephen Kingish. You know, it's not yes. like I just had this one idea. Oh, this girl's clairvoyant and she can see a past murder. Let's make a 90 minute movie about it. No, it's right. the past, it's the present and it's the future. And we're going to make a 90 minute movie about it. And, yeah. uh, I, and it's done in I, a very li- linear fashion. It does. It doesn't yeah. jump back and forth. It goes past present then future. It plays across very linear, which is also very odd for films at this time. Yeah, yeah, it was it was just like I said, I think this I can see why Tarantino would be interested in this. This is, 
you know, going back to his Pulp Fiction, you know, sort of storytelling kind of thing where different different timelines are all kind of lining up or are they, um, you know, this sort of thing is going on with this one too. But I, I do think it, it, this would, you know, this would make a fine book. Um, and it's, it's as it is, it's, you know, it's, it's a fine film, but it would make a, a really interesting book just, you know, to, they could probably get into so much more detail on, on everything that's going on. But just, yeah, it was, it's a complex concept, and I was glad it wasn't just a real simple, yeah, we're just going to investigate this murder that she had a vision of, you know, we're going to, you know, play this all out. Then it becomes, oh, wait a minute, this is also a premonition. That, that to me was a really cool twist. Now, it's interesting that one of the IMDb uh, tr- trivia tidbits that I wrote down, the the fact that you mentioned that it would make a good book, is that the film was, was initially uh, was going to be based on the, a 1972 novel called Deadly Therapy. Hmm. And it that, that went into pre-production, you know, and when the uh, De Laurentiis wasn't satisfied with the script that, that was handed in after seven, several years, kind of sitting on the shelf, he brought in Fulci with his co-writers and had him revamp it, but said literally almost nothing from the original novel, you know, very, very sure. few things that appeared in. I would love to read that original novel. It's probably only available in Italian, if, I, if you could even find a copy of it. <laughs> probably be it's, pretty pricey, but, you know, it, it, I, I would love to read the source material that inspired it. I would say based on based on that title and some of your early suspicions when you were watching this about the, the psychiatrist and so on, I have a feeling that probably that original movie was more about a psychiatrist manipulating her, you know, yep. into this sort of thing. Because <laughs> that's how he comes across in the beginning. And, you know, as the movie evolves, he's actually investigating this with her and, uh, you know, ends up being just a, you know, a, a, a much more realistic character you know not he's not just some one-dimensional villain just manipulating her yeah he's he's definitely uh you know suspicious and you know not really buying everything that she's you know putting out there you know because it, it doesn't fit in with you know his training and you know he's a psychiatrist and you know he's he's got his his own you know approaches to problem solving and things like that and obviously this psychic phenomena doesn't doesn't quite fit into that box but uh i have a feeling they probably started with that and then they they came up with their own thing with all this psychic ability stuff. Yeah, I I feel like they probably went off from way left field from the original source material. Yeah, because <laughs> yep. you know he's a very uh, practical kind of guy, as most like doctors and psychiatrists and psychologists are. They're not going to believe in clairvoyancy. They're not going to buy that 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 angle. No. But it's almost like having a very very low key Mulder and Scully. Yeah, investigating a murder, you know. There you go. That, that's a very good, very good way to, to put it. And that is kind of what was going on here. And I did. And I, what I also liked about the script was that Jennifer O'Neill's character, she completely bought into her visions and couldn't understand why other people just didn't see it. You know, I mean, this is just evidence. My, my husband's innocent. Look, this is exactly what my vision is. And this is what I saw today. You know, and, and like and they, they come right out and say, you know, none of us would stand up in court. We can't use any of this stuff. But I just I did I did like the way they approached the story that way, where she was utterly convinced that what she was seeing was real, even when it wasn't very clear. And, you know, everybody else was, you know, obviously would be skeptical of it because that's we all would be skeptical of it. And that played into the whole conspiracy angles of the whole thing. Um, Again, just well, well constructed. Yeah, very well constructed. 
I mean, is this uh, speaking of well construction? Uh, the, the the her her visions are very fragmented, but they are very precise when you see when you factor in the big picture. Very precise when you start seeing things fall into place. Like when she sees the mirror, she's like, "Well, that can't be the mirror from my dream. The mirror from my you know not my dream, but my vision, you know." Because that mirror was broken, so you know this has you know it, it, it's certain things start not playing quite into you know into your normal linear way of story or storytelling. She's still so convinced that this this is all based on the, you know the murder that had already happened instead of the murder that's about to happen. I mean, with the the girl, I forgot the the character's name since we never really see her other than in print. Right. I think uh might have been uh oh gosh, what was her name? Agneta or something like that. Or Ag- oh, gosh, I'm trying to remember. I didn't, didn't write it down. But anyway, I can't I mean, remember either. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, it's just a character we never see. We we see her her face on a cover of a magazine. We hear about right. her, you know, but it's never because the movie in, in essence is it's not even really about her, it's about Virginia. It's just like even when she has the vision and she gets the call from the old lady and she goes to meet meet with her and and she's in that very fancy place. I mean, it's like very giallo inspired, you know, the colors, the red color scheme and everything. And, you know, she everything's falling into place bit by bit. And then who happens to come along? The limping Emilio, who is like. Murder suspect number one, even though her husband was arrested, he's at least for me was murder suspect number one. Oh, yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of cat and mouse where she's hiding. It's a really great kind of final girl type moment where she's being chased by him and she's trying to remain quiet. And that damn watch gets her in trouble. Yeah. You know, starts playing that note. That's literally what I wrote down was like, oh, shit, you in trouble. And, uh. She's not really, she really, you know, I mean, ends up getting away from him only because he missteps and the board breaks across that, like that kind of scaffolding and he falls. You really think, I mean, like I thought for sure he was dead because his head is splattered, laid wide open. There's brains and blood everywhere, but he turns out to still be alive. That was a shocker of a moment for me. I was just like, wow. I'm like, well, I'm like, there's going to be another suspect, but I'm like, you know, they, they got rid of this guy pretty easy, but no, they didn't get rid of him. Yeah, I was, I remember, uh, you know, when I saw, I figured kind of that that was basically the end. I thought, you know, then it would play out like a typical, like you said, a Jailo, a final girl, you know, he ends up falling to his death. And I, I remember thinking at the time, well, that's kind of a letdown. But, you know, he's he sort of, he died too easily, you know, type of thing. Now, my VHS copy, did not allow me to see the brain matter. So, you know, when when it apparently, at least it appears that he sort of lunged at her at the end, I, I wasn't so surprised that he wasn't dead, but obviously he was in quite bad shape after falling, you know, 20, 30 feet <laughs> onto his head. Yeah, landing on those nice marble floors that don't give an yeah. inch to human flesh. <laughs> yeah, no, it, was, it, was, it, was a, it was a good, you know, I, I was glad that it wasn't over at that point. I'll just, I'll make that point. I actually checked the time on on the movie at that point. I'm like, okay, we still got 14 minutes left. There's still some shit gonna happen here. Yeah, like because I was just like, man, it can't be over like that. That's that can't can't be for such a great movie. It can't have an ending like that. But oh, it's not over because she's got the letter, and the yep. letter's gonna reveal something uh, later on. Because uh, Emilio is in the hot, uh, following this. Virginia's going back uh, to the villa, 
Francesco is going to meet her there because now that he's been deemed that he's, you know, innocent, he's being let out of jail because they got the, the killer, right? I'm doing air quotes here. They got the killer. Right. But Emilio starts spilling the beans that, that the girl that was in the wall was murdered over basically, I guess you could say a painting heist gone wrong. Yeah. You know, and uh, it, it was, you know, it, and it's basically revealed when we, the moment when you see Francesco come into play, you know, because she's at, at at the villa, she's having more visions, and then Francesco shows up limping. I was just like, oh, like there we go. Like now I'm starting to like see what what's 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 going on. Like like that was a point where I'm like, she wasn't having visions of the murder from the past. She was having visions of the murder that was going to happen to her. To her. That, yeah. yeah, yeah. She was a witness, basically being. She was a privy to her own murder before it happened. If only she had <laughs> had seen just a little bit more in those fragmented visions of hers. Exactly. But, yeah. But, that, and I thought that was very, very effective. And that was that was this was probably the only point where I, I started to get a little fatigued with the flashbacks now because I could remember them all well enough. And, you know, as soon as we see him dragging his foot when he's leaving the car, it's like, OK. It all came together for me at that point. I didn't need to keep flashing back, but yet they did. You know, we, we still kept going back to some of those visions again. And I, one or two of them, I guess, were necessary, but some of them weren't. And, you know, again, 1977, you know, that's a whole other movie audience in those days. Not They haven't seen as many movies as we have. I mean, nobody has. They're just, you couldn't see that many movies in 1977. They're just, you know, movies were playing at the theater. There were a couple on TV, you know, now... Audiences today have seen, you know, 10,000 movies. So they know, you know, they know what's And they're coming. available all the time, any yeah. anytime. You, you, exactly. want, you can watch it exactly. instantaneously. Yep. But I call that the, the Kaiser Soze moment when he shows up limping. Yeah. And it's just yep. like, oh, like you, motherfucker, you. <laughs> yep. It's sort of like the, the third the third twist, you know, after the after the clairvoyancy is, is not just in the past it's something in the future and now we get that third twist oh it's me <laughs> it's my future memory of my own death that i'm seeing here and then of course that all plays out yeah like when he sees the letter and he's like you read it didn't you and she's like no i haven't and he's like i wish i could believe you and i'm just like oh you guilty son of a bitch you and yep. I, I I love it. I, I love the twist. And all the while, you know, she's been envisioning her own murder. And when he pulls out that fire poker, I'm like, you're. I knew there was not going to be a happy ending for Virginia. Jennifer O'Neill was not going to make it through the end of this movie. And yep. he walls her up. And while the 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 was it the the lawyer or uh, uh, that is it was in it Luca that was racing that it was racing against the cops to get to the villa yep. in time. You know, he gets pulled over by the cops and he's like, nope, nope. I think he actually says the term frig you. Yeah, freak you. <laughs> freak, yeah, freak, yeah, freak you. And, and he like leads the cop. The cops are actually very understanding, even though he's telling them, no, you're not going to arrest me. No, you're not going to put the cops, cops on me. I'm not going to like uh, answer anything you're saying, but there's a murder about to happen. And they're, you know, very, uh, understanding of that like it's almost the most ridiculous part of the movie you know for a movie with such ridiculous twists and turns i was just like the cops would have just like wrapped him over the head 
with their nightsticks and hauled him away, I think. And, that, and especially in 1977. Again, given given our understanding of, of the, uh, you know, the justice system and really oh, yeah, what, we've learned, what we've learned so far in this movie that they'll, they'll you know, throw you in jail for, for you owning the home where something happened. Yeah, it was it was a little bit of a little bit of an oddball scene, but it was sort of rewarding, you know, to see that the cops were. You know what are you doing, dude? You know, you know, and they, they, you know, they did follow him there, so that was kind of cool. Um, one one shot too that just before we get to this point where you mentioned he pulls out the fire poker, when he brains her with that fire poker, that was a heck of a shot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that I don't was, know how uh, they did it. very legit. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how they did it. I mean, they, when he hits her across the head with that, I, I mean, somebody got hit. <laughs> So I even mean, if it was, it was a stunt person, you know, somebody got brained in the head with a, a yeah. fire poker. Yeah, I mean, it was it was well done. And I mean, the, the way the hair moved, the way everything moved, it was like, oh, somebody actually really got hit right there. And I just thought that was, you know, that's a little bit of a, a Fulci touch, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, he didn't, you know, even though this movie did not rely on the gore and grotesque violence that he's really known for, when it went it found its place. He he still utilized it, yeah, you know, to yep, the fullest, for sure. For sure. But, but back to but back to your point, yeah. So he's he's led the uh, he's led the the uh, the traffic control or the traffic patrol motorcycle cops anyway to <laughs> to, to the via. Yeah, I mean, just in time for uh, Francisco to wall her up, plaster her in the wall. Just like you know the 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 original murder from years past, he walled her up. It was like the Casco Montiato. Oh yeah, you know, uh, and uh, he's walling her up, and she's still, you know, bleeding profusely from the head, hanging on for dear life. I, I think she was just moments away from death. I mean, then I mean, like when the cops show up and they're and they're questioning him, and he's looking around the room. Luca is, and he's. Not he's suspecting, you know, something is up, but he's like, oh yeah, that, that's where uh, the original girl was found. You know, it's been uh, walled up again. I don't know who did it. It must have been Virginia or my sister. I wish I knew where Virginia was. I've been expecting her, you know. And he keeps saying how I wish I knew where she was. I'm worried about her. And then as they're leaving and walking out of the room, everybody's leaving. The traffic patrol, Luca, Francesco. And what do we hear? the tune of seven black notes being played from her watch and the camera just pans to that point in the wall and zooms in and zooms in and then that's it that's the end of our movie so this is where i have a question before we get into our final thoughts and, and ratings on this do you think you know in the midst of of storytelling do you think she was still alive or do you think they rescued her or do you think they just in quote unquote found what was left of her yeah, you know, the, it's a little the the time compression at the end is a little bit weird. I mean, I could see him getting the bricks up there in time. I could not see him finishing the plaster and having it be dry. <laughs> you know, that yeah, quickly. yeah, yeah. I found that a little bit, uh, you know. So yeah, so if if the time is not as compressed as what it appears to be at the end, and this was literally hours before they got there, because I don't know how far away, you know, everybody was. Um, but it doesn't seem like it. This whole movie seems like it took place in a very small area, you know, like a within everybody's within five minutes of everybody, it seemed like. So, you know, if that's the case, then I think she's alive. If it was ours, then I think she's dead. 
but that was sort of unclear. Didn't didn't take a whole lot away from the movie or anything like that. But uh, probably why it was good to just leave it ambiguous. You know, I, I love that it left it ambiguous because then we get to have these debates of whether or not we think she's live or yeah. dead. I think the title alone gives it away that she's dead because it's murder to the tune of seven black notes. Yeah. You know, if we'd known that was the title. <laughs> yeah, if we would have known. Yeah, I, I didn't know until like I went to look it up on uh, IMDb and Wikipedia to try not find out some trivia. When I originally typed in the psychic, I couldn't find it. It's yeah. like it was on on there as murder to the tune of seven black notes. So like that was an interesting find for me. And it kind of, you know, again, I, I guess that's probably why they didn't go with that title originally, because that would have like given everything away. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Um, again, I, but I just I think it's a marketing thing. I think if it had been if this had been released in 72, this would have definitely been the title. You know, Gylo's at its peak. Let's let's cash in, um, you know, that it was five years later and maybe Gylo's sort of fading now and we're trying to find the next big thing. And, you know, you know, scanners was just around the corner. You know, other other psychic phenomena is, is you know, in the public interest now. And, you know, let's call it the psychic because she does have these psychic powers. It's not the first movie about this type of a thing. But let's go ahead and call it that. And, you know, either title's fine. Um, but I, I, I prefer the because I think I think of this as a gyro. I prefer the murder to the tune of seven black notes myself. Me, me too. Me too. But uh, let's go ahead and get into our final uh, thoughts and ratings on this. You know how we do things around here. Uh, rating on a scale from one to ten. Yeah. So this one, again, was just before, you know, I think Lucio maybe peaked with his crew and the talent, you know, this, the stories and all that kind of stuff that, that came about. This this team went on to give us the beyond and City of the Walking Dead and Zombie and House by the Cemetery and and, you know, several others. Um, so this this was this was right up there with with those movies. Just we didn't have the gore. We had a little bit. We had a little bit of violence. Fortunately, we had far less misogyny than, than what came in, and especially in his later films. So this was a really, you know, a good thriller, um, great music, very Goblin-esque type of music. Editing was good, except maybe a little bit at the end, again, where it was just unclear whether it was time compression or, you know, what, what was happening at the end got a little unclear and maybe a few too many of those flashbacks. But again, this was 1977 when they made this. So, you know, factoring in all that kind of stuff, um, you know, when it was made, you know, it, I would have probably given it a higher rating in 77 than maybe I would give it right now. But I still think this is very entertaining. I'd love to see it on Blu-ray um, again because I'm tr struggling with this little VHS tape. So I'm going to give it a eight and a half, I'm going to say. Um, again, I, I, with me, Lucio either hits a home run or he utterly fails. Um, and I love Lucio. He's made some of my favorite movies, but he's also made my absolute number zero least favorite movie of all time, which was New York Ripper. I absolutely despise that movie. I watched it once and I, I literally threw it away. I hate it so much. Um, but he's made a lot of bad movies too. But he made this, This he had a peaking where there were just these several great films, and this one was just on the edge of that. So I, I really enjoyed it. I'm going to pick up the Blu ray now for sure, now that I've revisited it. Um, and I'm going to call it eight and a half. Well, you're not coming in that far from me. Uh, we're pretty much seeing about eye to eye in here. I'm giving it an even eight. 
Um, I think, it, like you said, it is right before Fulci, you know, totally peaked. It was showing that everything was firing on all eight cylinders, you know, between the writing, the cinematography, the music, the acting, the storytelling. Uh, the MVPs here has got to be Jennifer O'Neill as Virginia. And Evelyn Stewart, I, I really liked as Gloria. I, I think she, she's very low-key, but just very suave. And she's really good. The acting is top-notch here. And it's a very it's a happy find for me, you know, because there's not many uh, Fulci movies that I haven't seen. And it's, it's nice to know there's still these little nuggets out there of uh, brilliance that are still, you know, waiting to be unearthed. And I was, I was glad that you uh, suggested this one because I was like, yeah, it's one that I have not seen. So that was really... Uh, a happy accident to find that he had done, you know, and I'm going to straight up call this a, a giallo because that's yeah. what it is. It might be cleverly disguised with the title, the, the psychic being something else, but I I will always refer to this as the murder to the tune of seven black notes because this is completely uh, a, a giallo w- without a doubt. They might have tried to, you know, to cover it up with advertising and poster artwork and a different title, but I think they knew what they had on their hands here. You know, if there's anything that's really a misfire about this movie is that poster, that kind of generic psychic poster art and the name. It, I, I think this movie would be up there with some of the greats of Giallo work with Argento, some of his best work, you know, if they had just kept that title. It's just, it's kind of like it falls almost into a Halloween 3 um, season of the witch syndrome. You know, just miss miscalculated as as title work if they you know i'm a big proponent that they had just called uh halloween three season of the witch just season of the witch it'd probably be a lot higher regarded to than it is today (laughs) you know they just left halloween three out of it that's that's a real good point and i do i do remember um not clearly enough though um the credits at least on the blockbuster version that i have it did not say, you know, Lucio Fulci film. It was like some real American name was like, you know, Clarence Brown presents. So they were really trying to kind of downplay, you know, the the, the, the Lucio link here. But I think they were just confused totally in their marketing. You know, we're going to make this an American. It's the psychic. No, this but this is a gyro. I mean, they, they should have just they should have sort of, you know. I don't know. I wish they just sort of stuck to the, the whole gyro throughout the whole thing and, and let people experience this as a gyro instead of trying to compare it to other Lucio films. Because it really, in some ways, it's comparable in terms of some of the stylistic stuff, the music, mm-hmm. the photography, the, the eeriness, the, the creepiness, that kind of stuff. Um, you know, that is definitely Lucio, but it's it's so much more than, than just the, the typical gore fest, which I love. I love his gore fests. I think they're a lot of fun. Yeah, that's uh, some of my favorite pieces of his works yes absolutely I, I love the whole gates of hell you know sort of trilogy that he's got um but this is this is a very in my mind very solid gyro and and i say I'd, I'd love to see the blu-ray of it now now that i've revisited it all these years later i i, I gotta i gotta pick that up i want to see the extras <laughs> there's a couple of different um releases i'll send you the link to the one that i picked up so you can kind of maybe do some comparisons but it's uh cool. yeah it's, it's really nice and i I got to say, hands down, this has been one of my favorite uh, Fulci flicks. It's probably, I'd have to really think about my top 10 favorites, but this would probably fall somewhere in the top five. Maybe yeah. probably right around number five, but it's uh, right there. And it's, uh, 
Yeah, again, a happy accident. That the, and to think all these years I've been such a big fan that I've never seen it. I feel like I did a disservice calling myself a fan having never seen it before. But now I've rectified that, and we've given it its proper day in court. There you go. I, I agree, and I, I do hope other people will seek it out because I, I think it's it's worth seeing. Uh, you know, not just as a, a Luch, uh, Fulci completist, but just as someone who likes Gylo, or you just like a, a mystery, a thriller that will leave you guessing through the whole thing. Now, maybe if you just, you know, you might want to watch it after you've, you know, forgotten about this little, uh, <laughs> this little episode, so more of it comes as a surprise to you. But it really was, even my second time seeing it, it granted it had been a lot of years in between, but it really did a good job with the twists and the turns, and it keeps you interested the whole way through. Yeah, and as I've often said uh, about the show when we, you know, we do full-on spoilers and everything, if you're listening to the show having never seen the movie, what are you doing? Are you nuts? Please, <laughs> anytime we're reviewing something, watch it first, then come in for the review. Otherwise, you're going to have everything ruined for you. Hey, and unless that's your jam, you know, you, you, you like knowing everything before you go in, but, you know, I don't know why you would ever do that. <laughs> I know people like that, though. I, I really do. I, I have a really good friend who just, if I've, if I've seen the movie first, he wants to hear everything that happened in the movie before he goes and sees it. I'm like, why? Why would you want that? It ru but ruins everything. I mean, it, like, I can understand, like, wanting to know a little bit about it. You know, want to know, is it good? And, you know, a few things. But I, I want to, that's why I always say modern day trailers pretty much ruin everything. Yeah, I, I avoid trailers for movies I'm really looking forward to. I really try to avoid them. Yep, same, same. Well, that being said, I think we'll put a pin in this one for the afternoon. I uh, want to thank you, as always, for giving me uh, some of your time, a couple hours to, you know, get deep into these old Italian horror flicks. I, I, I appreciate it. Hey, you bet. This was, this was a fun one to revisit, and uh, hopefully we'll come up with another, uh, another oddball for folks in the, in the future. <laughs> Oh, I got an idea for, for one that I want to do next, but I don't know how excited you're going to be for it. We'll talk about that one <laughs> off the air here in a little bit. Fair so enough. save your thanking, thanking me but until I have to hear what my next plan is. <laughs> All right. Hey, you know, 300 bucks is 300 bucks. I'll, I'll talk. I'll right, talk with right. you about anything for that. So <laughs> hey, the check is in the mail, sir. Yeah, it's still waiting. Post office is slow. Yeah, they're sending everything on horseback these days, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Must be. <laughs> but that being said, thanks again, Tom. Appreciate it. It's always fun talking about these movies with you. And I want to thank all of you at home listening, hopefully listening at home. Uh, please subscribe to our Podbean page. Uh, subscribe, like, share, and give us a rating if, if you're so inclined. If you like what we do, give us a rating. Hell, even if you don't like what we do give us a rating just be honest with us let us know what, what you're thinking and maybe uh throw us some uh hints and some ideas of what you want us to cover next here on cinema degenerations takeout edition thanks for listening folks <laughs>